Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 when did the prodigal son come to his senses and realize that things in his father's house were better for the servants than the life he was living it was when he was in the pig pen in the mud in the mire that he came to his senses and he remembered what it was like in his father's kingdom Maybe we as a country need to be drugged through the mud. Maybe we need to come down to the depths of the valley so that we actually look up and our hearts return to the Lord. Are you willing to allow America to go to that place so that people's hearts would be awakened? What's really more important? Again, and we dig our feet in the ground and we're so tethered to the earth and to worldliness and we say, this is not right, this is not what I want, but what does God want? What is God trying to do? What if revival only takes place after we get to the point of desperation and we're in the valley of death and we're in the mire with the pigs that we have to look up and say, God, help me. Is it worth it? It says, God has appointed these things. This is a text that I think of often. This is a grave, grave word that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And in context, he's speaking about someone who is caught in gross sexual sin. But this is what he says about this brother who will not repent of his sin. And when we read this verse, what I want you to try to see is that, you know, instead of thinking of a brother who's caught in sexual immorality, think about a nation that has wandered from the Lord. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Speaking of the one who will not repent, who refuses to repent. They've come to him, they've exposed the sin, they said, look, this is sinful the way that you're living, and he refuses to repent and to turn from that sin. This is what Paul says to do with his brother. He says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He says, you know what? If you don't repent, then you know what? You're going to have to just take your hands off of this brother. You're going to have to allow his sin to eat him alive. You're going to have to allow his sin to bring him to the valley of death. You're going to have to allow his sin to bring him to a pig pen where he's wallowing in the mire. He's going to have to experience great loss and suffering because maybe then he will come to his senses and in the day of judgment, his soul will be received in the presence of the Lord. Deliver his flesh to destruction. The word destruction means ruin or annihilation. Let him be annihilated in the flesh because what really matters is that his soul is saved. I wonder about America. And we want to fight to keep America from falling, but maybe America needs to fall so that God can lift us up. Right? And so here's this thing. We can get to the point to where we want to exert our will 
over God's will. And we say, Lord, this isn't right. This isn't what I want to see happen. This isn't the person I want to see in office. And we get distracted by immigration and healthcare and the economy and all of these things that God uses maybe, just maybe, so that he could turn people's hearts to him and people's souls can be saved. To me, it's worth it. But what do we do in the church? I mean, in the church. We stand up here and we try to champion the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and all of these things. But you know what? Here's the thing. The Bill of Rights, right? The freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and the freedom of the press and the right to protest and the right to bear arms. What good is any of that stuff if people are still bound by sin? But we've made that more important, haven't we? A lot of us in the church. How come those rights and those liberties are more important to the church of Jesus Christ than seeing people set free from their sin? That's the only liberty that matters. That is the only freedom that matters. You can take the rest of my rights as long as I'm free in Jesus. How about the Declaration of Independence? Have you really ever read that and thought how humanistic it is? It's so man-centric. This is the way it begins, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal, that they were endowed or endued by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's no wonder we're in this condition that we are. What that's saying is everyone has the right to pursue what makes them happy. There is no absolute truth. Just do what makes you feel happy. And we all should have the right to do it. You know what that's another word for? That's freedom to sin. Right? And we wonder why we're in the condition that we're in. Because we put these texts and we put these documents and we hold these things as more important, even in the church oftentimes, than the actual written God-breathed word of God. Again, what good is it in our culture if there were no abortion? If no one had a desire to go and get an abortion, but people were still trapped by their sin and still going straight to hell, is that a win? If we as a church can exert our force politically and weed out abortion, but people are still suffering in their sin and going to hell, is that a win for the church? No, it is not. People need freedom from sin. We are the agents for that. See, these truths, these documents... None of this, none of the rights that we hold as Americans are going to save us in the day of judgment. We will not be able to stand before the God of the universe and say, but I'm an American and I have these rights and I have these liberties and I enjoyed these rights and these liberties. None of it will save in that day. You know what will save? Only the gospel will save. This is what Paul wrote. We studied this in Romans itself. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. In verse 17 he says this, that the righteous, the just will live by faith. Right? You know what? That's what God is concerned with. Not being out on the front lines politically. Not trying to force you know, our rights. He wants to see that we're about championing the gospel, that we are on the front lines, and when that fight is happening between right and left, blue and red, that we're there with the gospel saying, look, there's a better way than what either of you guys are. There's a better way, and that better way is Jesus himself. The gospel has the power to save. You see, we need to be ready as a church in these last days 
to be able to come to defense of the reason for the hope that is in us. This is the way 1 Peter puts it this. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ Jesus the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That we need to be ready to tell people what God has done for us and why we have a greater hope, what we are running towards that this world no longer has us tethered, that I'm no longer attached to this world, but my heart belongs somewhere else. Now, listen to this. If you're taking notes, this is the external motivator that we're talking about here when it comes to subjection to the government. There's an external motivation why we should be in subjection to the government. This is what it says. Therefore, whoever resists, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. I don't want to touch that judgment. I don't want to be judged by the Lord because I'm resisting what he has in place. Now, look at this. It goes on, though, and this is where it gets maybe a little bit more gray. It says in verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Now, the rulership, the government is supposed to be there to protect the good and to bring judgment for the bad. Okay, that's pretty basic. We kind of can understand that, right? But what happens, like we talked about even last week, Pastor Walter brought this up in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. What happens when it says this? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What happens when a culture gets it wrong? What happens when everything is backwards and inside out? When we can't make sense of what's right or wrong, what's light or dark, what's bitter or sweet? What happens in that case? What happens when the government is no longer standing up for what is good, but is actually championing what is wrong or what is bad in a culture? What do we do then? That's a question that really needs to be answered, right? See, in our culture today, just like I said, you know, we're pursuing life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, right? It's a totally humanist thing. It's not centered around the Lord. It's centered around man, focused on man. And this is what the Bible says is going to happen in the last days. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Just teach me what I want to hear. Just tell me what I want to hear. I don't want to be told what I can't do or what I shouldn't do or what's impermissible. I just want you to tell me that it's okay for me to live the way that I live. I want someone to reassure me that it's okay for me to continue in this sinful lifestyle and to continue sinning and that everything is going to be okay. Right? You can't make sense of what is right and wrong when there is no absolute truth. When everyone gets to decide for themselves what makes them happy is their truth. There's no temperature, right? There's no gauge for that. But here in this sense... What Paul is saying is, look at you, focus on you. You do what is right. You know what to do. This is what he says. Look at this. He says, it's not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of those who are in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. You focus on doing what is right yourself. Focus on that. Yes, it's terrible things are going on. You focus right now on doing what you know is right. So what happens when you do what is right, and you're punished for it? I can't explain exactly why other than maybe this is from the Lord, right? But I know Pastor Walter last week talked about a season of persecution that is coming. How are we going to respond as a church, as a Christian? How will you respond as a Christian when an oncoming season of persecution actually finally truly hits the church? 
what are we going to do or how will we respond when we're going through a season of suffering and it's difficult and even painful to walk with the Lord? How will we respond during that season? Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You put your head down, you put your nose down, you keep living a life that is commendable and honorable to the Lord so that when they look at you, they can't even find an accusation to bring against you. You follow after the Lord. You search after the things of God. You seek him with all of your heart. And then you apply yourself to showing those good works, to being salt, to being light, so that when they try to bring an accusation, they're searching and they're seeking and they really truly cannot find a reason with which to accuse you because that's what your life looks like. It's that good. That's what Peter says. You do what is good. First Peter chapter 3, he says this. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good than one should suffer for God's will. So here's what you need to do. You need to make sure in this sense that when you're slandered and when you're reviled, that they look at your good behavior in Christ and they're ashamed. One thing that I want to make sure that we as a church are prepared for in these last days is that we are prepared to suffer well for the Lord. Because he will receive glory if we are ready to suffer for his name's sake. Because we do good. Again, our government has it backwards and inside out. It's all wrong. What is good is being called evil. And and what is evil is being called good. I understand that. But you just do what you know God's word tells you to do. You keep pursuing what is good so that you're above reproach. There's no word that anyone can bring against you. And actually when they try, they would be ashamed that they ever tried in the first place. Suffer well. Do you or do you not believe Jesus' words when he said, blessed are you when they persecute you for righteousness' sake? That you're going to be blessed. That God is going to heap blessings upon your life. Do you really truly believe that? When you come, when your life ends up in the pit because everyone else is in the pit, when your life ends up being in the valley of death because everyone else is in the valley of death, do you believe that you're blessed because you're being persecuted for holding fast and holding true to what is good and right and pure. Do you believe God in his word? Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. See, when I first came to Christ, the Lord stripped many, many things from me. Many things. I had friends and my friends were all gone because I didn't want to continue living that lifestyle. And I got to the point to where I was so humbled and so much was taken away. I slept for months on the floor because I felt like that's where I was closest to God. And I would be there on the floor by myself, God taking everything away, but I had never been so close to the Lord. I've never been so close to the Lord in my entire life than when I felt like I was at the lowest. That's when I felt the Lord the most. Is it worth it for you to feel the Lord in that sense? To say, God, take it all away from me so that I realize that all I ever needed was you to begin with. You're all I want and you're all I need. So there's this external motivation, right? And he goes on, he says, do what is good. Then you'll receive his approval. Verse four, for he's God's servant for your good. Speaking of those in authority, 
But if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. That's a reference to capital punishment. For he is the servant of God and avenger, the one who executes justice, literally, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath. Again, there's that external motivation. But now I want you to take note of the internal motivation. You must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. What is your conscience? What is that internal motivation that should make sure that it should keep you in step or in subjection to the government or to the authorities? What is that internal voice? You realize deep within each of us, God has given us this voice that speaks to us, that gives us direction, that tells us whether we're going in the right direction or the wrong direction. Right? It tells us the difference between right and wrong. It tells us what is sinful and what is permissible. There's that voice deep down within each of us. And in Romans chapter 2, Paul actually says that this voice, this conscience, will either accuse you or excuse you in the day of judgment, right? That that's what this conscience will do. It's this voice that tries to umpire you or tries to, to tell you in life if you're going in a direction where God's blessings will meet you or where you're going in a direction that will pull you further and further away from the things of the Lord. This conscience within you, it's a spiritual and moral sensitivity. And God has placed this voice within you for a purpose, but everything in the world, all that the world wants to do is to try to silence that voice so that you cannot tell what the difference is between right and wrong. And look at around our culture and you'll see beyond a shadow of a doubt that the enemy is doing a good job at silencing our conscience. He's muting the voice of God deep within our spirits. In 1 Kings chapter 19, you can read this later, but there's a story there of the prophet Elijah, and he's desperately needing a word from the Lord, desperately needing a word from the Lord. And his life is chaotic, and he's being pursued. His life is in danger. The king and his wife are after him. He feels like, you know, there's no one left but me. I'm the only one who really wants to serve and walk with the Lord, and I, I'm just ready to throw in the towel. I'm ready to give up. He's desperately needing a word from God. And then... In the midst of this, God sends this incredible wind and rocks are broken. And then there's a fire that sweeps through the valley. And then there's an earth shaking. There's an earthquake. And the scripture says after each of these signs, after the wind and after the fire and after the earthquake, the Lord was not in those things. But after those things were finished, there was a still, small voice. And then Elijah heard. You see, what is the worry with the economy and with immigration and with health care and all of these different things? They're all things that are trying to drown out the voice of God in your life. And they put on a big show and there's fireworks and they're distracting and your attention is definitely pulled away. But they're not the voice of God. If you really truly want to hear from the Lord, you're going to have to pull away from all of those things. You're going to have to stop being tethered to the earth and really truly remember what you're running towards. See, this is what Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6. He would say this, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you're in need of a word, you leave everything behind. You find a quiet secret place where it's just you and God. For me, it was on the floor at the foot of my bed months just sitting there hearing from God. You go find your secret place, your quiet place, you shut the door behind you, you shut the world out so you can hear God's voice 
speaking to you again so that your conscience can be renewed so that you really truly hear from the Lord. And then when you're in that place, here's where we get prayer wrong so often. So many of us go into our prayer closets and we shut the door and we might do a good job of blocking all of the chaos out and we pour our hearts out before the Lord and then we get up and we walk out before we wait to hear God's voice. What if you spent less time talking to God and you spent more time listening to God? How would your life change? To listen once again for that voice giving you direction to pause and to hear. So here's this internal motivator that we have to be in subjection to the government, but I want to point this out. Here's this space now. Whenever that conscience, whenever that voice of God, whenever what truth is from the scripture is being violated by the government or the government is asking you to violate the voice of God in your life, to violate your conscience, to violate what God's truth is in your life, that is the time when you can actually say, okay, this enough is enough. If I have to choose between being an American and being a child of God, I will choose a child of God every single time. When the government asks me to do something that violates God's voice in my spirit, that's where I draw the line. That's where I begin to object. We see this happen throughout scripture. In Daniel chapter 3, you can read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And a 90-foot statue is erected by Nebuchadnezzar. And when the band starts to play, Nebuchadnezzar says, Everyone bow down and worship this image that I've erected, this image that I've built up. And so the band begins to play. And everyone begins to bow down and to worship this image, except for these three young men, these three young Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what happens? Nebuchadnezzar comes to these young men and says, did you not hear the order? Did you not hear the decree? You're supposed to bow and to worship when the music begins to play. And they say, here's the deal. Our God that we serve is able to deliver us from your hand. And even if he does it, we will never bow to that image because we know idolatry is not right. We will not do what you're asking us to do because it violates the scripture. It violates God's voice in my spirit. I can't follow you that far. In Daniel chapter 6, Darius puts out this edict, and he says, Anyone who prays to anyone other than to me, the king, who asks of anything other than to me, the king, that they'll be thrown in a den of lions. And so what does Daniel do? When he hears that this edict has been signed, he goes up to his room, he goes up to his home, he opens the window as he does every other day, and he prays towards Jerusalem so that everyone can see. Why? Because he's saying this, he's saying it doesn't matter to me if you tell me I can't pray that violates God's voice in my spirit and I will continue to pray how about again those disciples the church is just being birthed the gospel is going out right and they're taken and they're bound by those Jewish leaders and they say you have to stop preaching in the name of Jesus and they say listen whether it's right for us to obey God or man you've got to decide but we're going to obey the Lord in this we are going to preach And they do exactly what they were asked not to do. They ended up being beaten for it. See, in each of these cases, the objection was not for a political purpose. It was for a spiritual purpose. That's where we need to, as Christians, understand and draw the line. I'm not going to begin picketing and protesting over immigration or over financial reform or over entitlements 
or in, over health care. Why? Because that stuff is earthly. That's attached to the world. My heart is somewhere else. But if you tell me I can't preach in the name of Jesus, if you tell me I can't preach the truth, if you tell me I can't pray or gather together as a body, then that's where I draw the line. That violates God's voice in my spirit. That's why we began to meet again here in September Because we cannot preach, listen to me, we cannot preach that it's important for the saints to gather together to encourage one another and so much more so as you see the day approaching. We cannot preach that and not live that. So why did we begin to meet? Because we knew that in our conscience, listen, listen, God is speaking to us saying the day of the Lord is approaching and as the day of the Lord is approaching, we need to gather together like never before. We need to encourage each other like never before. So I can't follow the government down that path. I'm going to have to do what God is telling me to do. I'm going to have to obey God's word. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977